Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, this is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Monday, May the first. I'm battling a few allergies here, so bear with me uh, for a few seconds. But uh, as we like to do on Mondays, we'll be chatting with our good friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Lots to get into. I mean, we are literally one year away. We are now closer to the 2024 election than we are to the 2020 election. So pretty soon, uh, we'll be focusing a great deal. On that uh, election, the attacks on the justices continue, whether it's Justice Justice Thomas, uh, Justice Gorsuch. Uh, always uh, we get foreign policy updates from our friend uh, Bill Katz. Lots to talk, lots to talk with Bill about this week. So let me say hello to our friend uh, Bill Katz. Do you have allergies in New York, Bill? We do have allergies in New York, and uh, I may have a few of them, but, uh, you know, it's 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 the kind of thing that you want to have the right kind of allergies allergies that are associated with oppression with uh po- political systems that fail uh, i i'm i'm try i'm i'm going to see my allergies to see if i can make the claim that i am oppressed and therefore allergic yes you're part of a uh, protected group oh, as yes, they like yes. to as they like to call it these days uh, yes and i want reparations that's right. That's right. Lots of look at all the money you spend buying allergy pills. That's exactly right, and I don't, I don't, I don't think that's fair. I think the only reason I'm not president of the United States is oppression. So uh, <laughs> I, I feel I'm, I'm deserving. I, like everybody else, I, I see everybody's out <clears throat> there. So why not me? That's right. That's exactly right. Bill, let me begin with a uh, a story out of Texas. I, I think you're familiar with the shooting we had down here. Oh yes. And how that has obviously become a national story. Uh, just for the listeners who may not be familiar with this, uh, uh, in Cleveland, Texas, which is in the Houston part of Texas, there was a fellow who was shooting his AR-15 in the air, I guess. The neighbors told him to stop because the kids couldn't sleep. He got angry, I guess, went over and shot some people. Well, it turns out that the shooter was an illegal immigrant. Uh, the people who were shot, with the exception of one little boy, uh, were also all illegal immigrants. And uh, he was using, of course, an AR-15. And the AR-15, once again, has become the, the, you know, the topic that everybody's talking about. So the governor today went out and pointed out that this man was an illegal immigrant. And you would have thought he offended everybody, Bill. Uh, all kinds of people saying, how dare you bring up the status of the, or the immigration status of the shooter, uh, but you know, the, the, so this whole thing has become sort of a uh, you know a media circus to say the least. But Bill, the, the, you know, people are talking about this story and they forget one very essential fact, and that is that if you're an illegal immigrant, you cannot have a gun. So what you know, what law are we going to pass that would have prevented something like this, Bill? I don't know. It's you know, it appears the way this society is being run is that certain political elements get to decide which laws are enforced. You know, we have, we have ample laws on the books, uh, but very often, uh, right, right here in New York, laws in, are just ignored. Uh, I mean, we, they're around the country. There are these left-wing district attorneys who don't seem to think the law means anything or doesn't apply to them. Uh, I don't know how you prevent what occurred in this horrible, tragic incident. Now, there are some who will say, well, if he wasn't allowed to own a gun and the law was enforced, well, you know, a man who can do a thing like this is not going to be stopped from buying a gun by a law. He'll find some way of getting it. So uh, I, don't, I don't know how you stop something like that. Some people will say, well, you know, if, if nobody had guns, 
well, we have 400 million guns in America. Lots of luck to those who want to uh, abolish guns. It's, right. uh, this is beyond our understanding. Of course, obviously, the one thing is that if his immigration status had been held against him and he had been properly dealt with, he wouldn't be in this country. Right. And he had been deported several times. Yes. Also, which is which just makes things even even worse. But the the question I had, Bill, when I heard about all of this, uh, apparently he he did this often. He would go out in his backyard and shoot the gun. I guess this was something he he did for pleasure. And this particular time he was drunk when he was doing it. And so he decided to take it out on the people next door who were complaining about the noise and so on. But maybe the reason the people next door, and I'm speculating, but I don't think I'm that far off. Maybe the reason the people next door never called the police and said, look, this crazy guy next to us keeps using his gun uh, all the time. Maybe it's because they were illegal immigrants, he's an illegal immigrant, and they didn't want the guy deported, Bill. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, we find often that people are reluctant to go to the police for one reason or another. Uh, some people are reluctant to go to the police because they feel there'll be retaliation from within their neighborhood. Uh, other people are reluctant because they themselves have a legal problem. So, uh, you know, I think we've heard this story before, perhaps not on this horrible, ghoulish level. But I think we've heard the story before of, of people who are here illegally and who uh, will not cooperate in the enforcement of American law because they don't want to be visible. What, what amazes me, too, Bill, is that the, these families were living on this street. And, you know, apparently, you know, you can be living in the country illegally and nothing happens to you, uh, which yeah. maybe I'm very naive for saying that. But having come here as an immigrant, I know how important it was for my parents to have all their papers in order. So I, I just find it you know, a reflection of how poorly run our immigration laws are, that people can live here, live here, uh, have children, you know, enjoy their life. And yet, you know, nobody cares about immigration laws anymore, Bill. It's like, well, what do you, you know, it doesn't matter. No, nothing's going to happen to us. I mean, that seems to be the attitude, Bill. And that's I think creating a lot of problems. This is one of them, uh, Bill. Absolutely. And I think it's an attitude that is spreading that the laws are illegal or that they were uh, written by the oppressor. Uh, and uh, the oppressor is always the same group. Uh, and therefore, why should we follow them? Now, if you feel that a law is oppressive, you can go to court. Uh, you can go all the way to the Supreme Court. But simply not obeying the law and ignoring it is not an option in a truly free and democratic society, and that message hasn't got through yet. No, it, it's a shame because there are some, I think, seven people who were killed or something yes. like that, including some children, which is awful, absolutely terrible. Now, the other interesting thing is that, of course, the governor came out uh, and, and, and said that the shooter was an illegal immigrant and some of the victims were also illegal immigrants, and like I said, that's become, you know, this scandalous thing that he said. People are criticizing him all over. Even Beto O'Rourke, uh, Bill, came back to life and, and oh. said that the, that the AR-15 has no place in our society. What a wonderful thing to hear from Beto O'Rourke. Isn't, isn't that interesting? Doesn't that really solve our crime problem to have I Beto O'Rourke say that uh, the AR-15 has no place in our society, Bill? Once again, Beto has come through with a profound remark, a, profound, a, a remark so profound that no one understands it. Right. Uh, only Beto understands Did he say this at Harvard, where apparently he's going to be teaching? I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, uh, he yeah. tweeted this. He tweeted this. I don't, oh. know, I don't know from where or, or, or what, but he basically said, you know, this is like he didn't say it this way, but I'm sure he meant it uh, this way. I'm sure he was saying, folks, this is what I warned you about in the campaign. This is yes. why I warned you that, you know, and, 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 and so he said that the AR-15 has no place in our society, which, of course, is ridiculous. The AR-15 does have a place. It's people who use it to kill. They're the ones who don't have a place, Bill. That's exactly right. The AR-15, first of all, has been designated by the gun and the gun lobby as a, an assault rifle. It is not an assault rifle. It does not have the characteristics of, assault, of an assault rifle. It is the civilian version 
of what is an assault rifle, which is the M16, but it is stripped of its function where you can flip a switch and turn it into automatic fire, uh, or what, what most people would call a machine gun. And machine guns have been banned in this country since 1934. So, uh, the, uh, and you can look at the AR-15's cartridge, its power. It is really more similar to a hunting rifle, uh, but some people want to call it an assault rifle because they think that makes it sound worse. Actually, all it is is inaccurate. I'm not defending, by the way, anyone who uses a gun uh, improperly. That person should be punished, including a severe jail term. But the words are flipped around so loosely that we often don't even know what we're talking about. Well, I think a lot of these people don't know what they're talking about because they have no knowledge of guns whatsoever. Now, the other interesting thing uh, related to our governor, Bill, let me just stay in Texas for a second is that the mayor of Chicago, the outgoing mayor of Chicago, is now calling on Governor Abbott to stop sending buses. No more buses, please, because we cannot handle the – we don't have the resources anymore to handle these people. And uh, please, don't, don't send them anymore because we know you're doing it for political reasons, Bill. Uh, I'm sure that when Mayor Lightfoot and some of these other Democrats were criticizing our governor – for signing the sanctuary law ban back in 2017, uh, I'm sure they were not doing it for political reasons, Bill. Oh, yes. I'm sure we have the answers there. I mean, who who could doubt? Uh, You you know, it's such a sordid situation. Uh, The mayor of Chicago, who is, as you said, outgoing, uh, has a terrible record on crime. Uh, and she, though, was a champion of Chicago being a sanctuary city. Well, now that she had to put up or shut up and actually practice what that meant, she was against it. Suddenly, we, have, we, we can't handle all these expenses. Well, why didn't you tell that to people before you pushed sanctuary city laws on Chicago? Uh, you know, I, I, I hate to say they're getting what they deserve, but the people of Chicago aren't responsible. The left-wing political leaders are responsible. Right. No, that's right. So I, I don't know what the governor, uh, how the governor responded to the mayor or to the outgoing mayor, but I do know that more buses are going, Bill, so maybe that's the answer. <laughs> well, they, they are. <laughs> Look, I think it may come I, – I was thinking about this last night, and I, I think it may come to the point – if assuming we have a Republican president where we may have to use federal troops to enforce the laws or to enforce order in some of our states, especially our, our red states, the Democratic controlled uh, states, this it would not be the first time. And uh, back during the Johnson administration, federal troops were sent to Detroit. But our cities are just so unstable. The ones run by Democrats, run by liberals, run by the George Soros-appointed DAs. These cities are so unstable. They're, they're so filled with corruption and, and practices that only lead to chaos that I just don't know how the country can get away much longer without sending in a special troops or special personnel to cities to keep the laws enforced. Right. No, you're exactly right. You take... California, Chicago, and New York City. Philadelphia is also a real problem. Oh, Baltimore yes. is a real problem. I mean, but these cities, you're right. I mean, they are collapsing. They're rotting with all the corruption and people leaving, which kind of leads me to my next point, Bill. Uh, you know, our friends over at Powerline, are, they do a great job of analyzing the news. And, and one of the fellows who writes over there recently uh, wrote an article. Maybe you saw this about the what is happening with the population going from blue to red states. And oh, we've yes. talked about this before. This is not news. We've talked about this before. But they were able to express it in a way that I had not seen before. Uh, and that is they, they calculated based on the, the population shift as of now, uh, what would be the impact on the next census. And, for example, uh, if the population c- continues to change and move to from blue to red the way it's doing right now, uh, California would lose five congressional seats, Bill. Five districts yes. would disappear. Mm-hmm. New York would lose three. Texas would pick up four. And Florida would pick up four. That is, I had never seen it expressed like this before, but this really tells you how bad it is, Bill. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, 
the city I know most, uh, I, do know, I do know Chicago because I went to school there. And by the way, crime when I went to college, which was many, many decades ago, was also a, a major issue. The, the city has never really cleaned up its crime problem. But New York City is very much in, in trouble. Uh, I think the mayor, Mayor Adams, is tr- trying through rhetoric to say, you know, it's going to come back. It's going to come back under by leadership. It's going to come back. But nobody can figure out a way back because the state legislature is under firm control of hardline left-wing Democrats. And they don't think there's anything wrong with having a high crime rate. Why, these people are just expressing themselves. They're expressing their rage, their frustration. We must understand them. And that is their attitude. So we don't really have enough police on the streets. We hamstring them with all kinds of rules. Uh, we are forgetting the lessons that were learned when New York's murder rate was reduced by 80% by Rudy Giuliani when he was mayor. Uh, and I don't know what the future of New York is. You know, you talk about people leaving. I think there are many people leaving who may not even be talking about it because they, they know that they want to get along with their friends. But I think it is becoming an unlivable city. Yeah. Well, the other problem, too, and this is hurting every city, is that more and more people can work from home. Yeah. So that that means that you don't have to take the subway and go and go work on in Wall Street, let's say. You can just work from home. And that has a financial impact as well because all those millions of people going down, I mean, just, just taking the subway alone uh, represents a lot of money for the city. Uh, the sales taxes that they're spending when they go out to lunch and the rent that they pay and the electricity and all of that, I mean, that is also impacting many of these cities we see that in san francisco with all the oh, yes. empty office space bills so you know it's it's not all necessarily the city's policies because covid had something to do with it but maybe the reaction to covid was uh, a city policy bill well that's true and what what that article said was that these red cities are losing their tax base the people who are leaving are generally not poor people they're generally more well to do uh, or you know, gainfully employed, and simply do not want to spend their lives in a city this dangerous and a city whose attractiveness is deteriorating every day. Uh, but when they leave, they are not paying taxes to New York any longer. They're going to be pa- paying taxes to a new state if, in fact, that state uh, has a, a state income tax. Some of the blue states do not have state income taxes, and they're making it out very, very well. So, yeah, you mean the red states, uh, some of the red states you meant. Yeah. Yes. You yes, meant some of the red states, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah yes, you're right. Many of them do not. Now, up in, 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 in the Northeast, I believe New Hampshire does not have an income tax of all the states correct. up there. And they attract uh, – but I think it's – you know, I agree with uh, the article in Powerline that they're losing their tax base. But I think they're, they're, they're also leaving, Bill, for the quality of life. I really think yes. – that's a big factor, and crime uh, or safety, security, as they like to say, has a huge impact in how you feel about life. I mean, if you feel unsafe, you're not going to like living where you're living, Bill. That's right, and it's the uncertainty that does the damage, uh, especially for people with families who are living in, uh, in, in uh, blue uh, cities. Uh, they are especially impacted because they are fearful for what their children may encounter on the streets or may encounter in schools that have uh, a problem with student violence. You read these stories one right after the other of violent attacks on teachers, uh, and, and which are often either unpunished or punished by a slap on the wrist. And parents who are making decent incomes in these cities say, why should we be here? Uh, the answer usually is, well, after all, it's a great city, one of the great cities of the world. Well, these cities may have been, but with the kind of crime rate they have today and the kind of uh, rotten schools they have today, they're no longer great cities. Yeah, and I think what makes it even more depressing, Bill, is that if you're a person, let's say, in New York City or Chicago or Philadelphia or whatever – and you have your family roots there, you know, your mother, your grandparents used to live there, and, you know, you have this attachment to the local baseball team or football team, which happens in many of these uh, communities. Uh, and, and then you look at the local leadership, the people actually running your city, and you go, this is crazy. Where, where do we get people like this? I was in Baltimore uh, 
uh, when uh, we had a little ceremony for my parents after they passed away. And uh, I was talking to uh, my niece, who happens to have a very good friend, who's a police officer. And, you know, the police officer couldn't wait to to get out of the force. He says, you know, right. this is no, no fun anymore being a police officer here. I mean, he knew before, Bill, that it was a dangerous job. It's not like he didn't know that it was a dangerous job. But at least he felt that the city had his back. Yes. And right now he doesn't feel the political class has his back. He feels the political class, he's fighting the political class every day he goes out and tries to do his job, Bill. That's right. That would be equivalent to the president of the United States turning against the American armed forces when they're in battle. Same, uh, same type of situation. Uh, you're, you're absolutely correct. Police officers uh, join the force for a variety of reasons. Uh, traditionally, uh, especially during the age of immigration, many uh, people from immigrant families became police officers because they got a pension after 20 years, and they never had that before in their lives. And some would then go on to become firemen after the 20 years. And they at least had stabilized. They, they, had, they were employed by the cities. Uh, they were respected. Uh, they had power. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that every policeman is wonderful or that everybody should be a police officer. Some people clearly are not qualified to be police officers. But by and large, the police do a terrific job. And one of the things they are terrific at is preventing crime by their presence. And that's disappearing. That whole idea is disappearing. That's right. No, you're right. I mean, and, and you look at some of these cities like, you know, Philadelphia, you know, that used to be a very elegant city. Very. You know, Baltimore, I remember Baltimore in the 70s. Uh, it made a huge comeback in the 70s with Mayor Schaefer. And, you know, they built that or that inner harbor area, and it made a huge comeback. People were actually buying townhomes in the city, and all of that, uh, the city was, was doing quite well. And, you know, they built the new baseball stadium by the water there. And the city was making a comeback. Uh, not anymore. Not anymore. No. Baltimore today is, uh, you know, and, and I'm sure that has to have an impact, too, on, on people, let's say, traveling to watch a game. I know that in Chicago it does. On the south side of Chicago with the White Sox, a lot of people don't even want to go see a White Sox game, not because they don't like the team, but they just don't want the hassle of driving down there and having to put up with traffic and not just traffic, but all the violence, Bill. That's absolutely true. And, and Chicago has a big car theft problem, very, very big car theft problem. And people, you know, have a car, maybe may a nice new car. Cars are very expensive these days, and they don't want their car stolen. I That's mean, right. Gee, what, what an unusual point of view. You That's know, right. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's the, the city's become unlivable, unlivable when people think they are unlivable, despite what any statistic may show. If you have no confidence in your city, if you walk outside and are afraid to go to the grocery store, that's not a, li a livable city. Right. No, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, uh, because that's what you hear from friends in Baltimore and, uh, you know, especially in L.A. I mean, the situation in L.A., I had a, a friend uh, from Brazil, who who went to L.A. on business recently, and he said, I felt like I was in a third world city yes. when he was walking around L.A. He says, you know, this is like, he felt like he was like in, you know, just pick your third world city. He was, he, you know, he said, I've never seen this before. People living in the streets, all these tents, you you know, you can't walk because you got all these people in front of you asking you for money. And, uh, you know, obviously they're taking drugs and all this kind of stuff and in doing a lot of ugly things on the sidewalks that we cannot repeat on on the podcast. But, I mean, just uh, like a total – he was really disappointed. He said, never believed that this would happen in the United States, Bill. That's what he said to me. I think – and I think his observation is one that is growing, that, you know, people say, whatever happened to this, these beautiful cities – of uh, the city shining, the shining city on a hill. San Francisco used to be a gorgeous city, and today uh, you, you hear reports that parts of it are unlivable. I would like to know where all these people came from, all these homeless people. We didn't have this problem 10 years ago, at least not to the degree we have it today. I, I would like to see some good journalism, but <laughs> trying to see good journalism these days is... It's like seeing a movie star resurrected. You know, right, I mean, yeah. that, that doesn't happen. It really doesn't. 
Yeah, uh, but wanting to see good journalism, uh, it may be hard to find that build. I mean, there are some good yes. ones, but it's not. Let's not knock all of them. But more and more of them seem to be uh, predictable. I'll just put it that way, Bill. Very predictable in how they report the news. Let me just uh, bring up a quick point here before we take a break. Uh, uh, You know, these attacks on on Justice Thomas and Justice Gorsuch are so irresponsible. Uh, I am not, you know, I don't know every little thing that these guys did about whether or not they, they reported this or reported that. But... These attacks on conservative justices, there needs to be somebody on the left who stands up and says, guys, you've got to cut this out. You're hurting everything when you attack the yes. Supreme Court bill. But you don't yes. hear that. No, you don't. And, and it's a tragedy that you don't because the very people who are silent about these things are the very people who are going to get hurt if there's a complete back uh, – uh, uh, a complete absence of law and order. Uh, these attacks inevitably are going to lead to something physical because there's always somebody out there. And there doesn't seem to be, once again, to talk about the press, there doesn't seem to be any concern on the part of the press. You know, I think if this country really goes under and becomes just another failed big power, I think that the two institutions uh, will be looked at. And, and, and I think will be, uh, uh, will be the cause of it. One is the school system, and the other is the journalism system. And they kind of feed off each other because many journalists are trained in universities that have become woke and left-wing, and they think that's the real world. Uh, right. And, and that, is, that is what guides their journalism, and their journalism is no longer based on the Pulitzer model of reporting the news without fear or favor. It's, it's being reported on the idea that um, that uh, 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 what what we do is good for progressive causes, therefore it's okay to do it. That's right. Yeah, they they seem to be uh, you know their their motivation, and again, not all of them, but many of them. No, uh, but certainly the ones in Washington. I'll put it that way. It seems like the national media is more faulty of this. Uh, a lot of the local media, I I watch it here. And it seems to be a lot more responsible, like they're oh, more yeah. connected to real people. But it's the national media where you watch, like, you know, this press conference they had this week with President Biden and those questions that he had. Now, the L.A. Times is saying, we didn't give him the questions in advance. Okay, they didn't. But that question looked awfully similar to the one she asked, uh, Bill. Yes, it, it really did. It really did. And uh I think people doubt the integrity of the press. I was just uh, uh, seeing a few hours ago a new national poll that uh, indicated that the great majority, the overwhelming majority of Americans, blame the press for the great divisions in the country. And while, as you say, they're not all bad and we can't blame them all, I do agree with with the preponderance of evidence presented by the people in that poll that the press tends to accentuate division. It tends to promote division. Uh, they, I think they feel that they sell more newspapers that way. Uh, I don't think the press today begins to fulfill its, uh, its noble purpose of reporting the news. Yeah, well, of course, part of the problem is that they're not selling enough newspapers. That's part of the problem. That's right. And maybe they feel that they have to exaggerate things to get you to buy the paper or, or to turn on the TV because they're losing audience uh, as well on on, on TV. Let's take a little break, Bill, and we'll come back. Uh, we've got a lot more to get into with our friend uh, Bill Cap. Uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, chatting as we like to do on Mondays with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Bill, when you saw that press conference uh, with President Biden and the media and those notes that he had, uh, uh, and you know the LA Times came out immediately and said, "No, we didn't give him the question." Well, uh, you know, I'll trust the LA Times that they didn't give him the exact question, but 
It doesn't help the media, though. I mean, that's to me the larger point. It does not help the media, you know, following up on the poll that you were just talking about, the way that people feel about the media. It does not help the media uh, when when they see a president with the picture of, a, of of the reporter and the question. This is not helping the media. I'm surprised they don't pick up on that, Bill. Well, of course, <laughs> they don't pick up on it because their whole idea uh, of what they're they are has changed i think this began to a degree during the vietnam war uh it continued they knew they could get away with it and people don't go into journalism to report the news they go into journalism to make a difference i love that phrase you know i'm 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 going to make a difference i wish some of the people who say this would contemplate for a minute whether the difference they're making is positive or negative yeah or if they're interested in making a difference maybe they ought to do something about cancer now there That's is right. something yes. you can make a difference of. I mean, you, you like sure if, you, know, if you want to find a formula to fight cancer or a formula to you know whatever, but it seems to me journalism has never been about about making a difference. It's been about reporting the news. And, you know, that's it. I mean, and at times it could be a little boring. I don't know. Maybe not. But it it could be if you do it responsibly, it could be a very fulfilling job. But a lot of the young people, I mean, a lot of the friends that I had who went into journalism uh, in, in college or, or high school were generally more more liberal because they did want to make a difference. They, you know, they didn't yes. want to just go out. You know, I remember one, one fellow one time saying to me, you know, you go out and make money in the business community. I'll go out and I'll do something for the world as a yes, journalist. They, and and, and yes. I looked at him and I said, really? <laughs> are you going to make something right. for the world? What are you going right. to do? You, are you going to invent a, a solution for cancer? Or what, what the heck are you going to do? Well, it, re- <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminds me of these people I met in the late 60s and early 70s yeah. um, who, um, after the 60s revolution, where things – became so open and so free. Uh, and I remember when I was a, um, a, a talent coordinator for The Tonight Show, we'd get these young people in who uh, singing groups, and they would simply say offhand, we write our own music. And I of- often felt like asking them, do you, often perform brain- do you also perform brain surgery? I mean, they talked about it as if it was anybody could write music. I mean, you just sit down and you write music, and that's my right. I have a right to write music. They were not in any way awed by the fact that we had at one time in American popular music great composers like Gershwin and Kern and Berlin and and Rodgers and Hammerstein, and they didn't just sit down and write music. They wrote beautiful music. Uh, And this was a period, I think, when this kind of thing started that we're seeing today of uh, people who believe that they themselves, by their very presence, will make the world better, even if they do nothing or if they do it wrong. But we will make the world better. Uh, you know, hear me roar, hear me roar. Uh, but yes. yes they, they, you know, one of the things about journalism is that you, you could do a lot of harm. I've always said that if, a, if, a, if the, a free press can save a country, it can also destroy it. And I'm fearful that the press is now, at least in terms of many of the large organizations, now in a position where they do as much harm as good. No, I think you're right. I think you're right, especially the television uh, Oh yeah. I mean, that's where I think the real damage is being done. As I said, I, I am actually pretty happy with our local media. The way they cover the local news, it seems to be pretty responsible. But it's when you get to the national media. Like I was watching this interview, clips of this interview on Meet the Press, on Sunday. And you know, Bill, I never thought that I would that I would be watching a presidential candidate on Meet the Press uh talking about whether or not there are more than two genders. Yes. I mean I'm sitting here going, Am I is this the Twilight Zone? What am I watching here? I mean the idea that you would have a uh you know the host of Meet the Press, a very serious program, actually asking questions about whether or not we have more than two genders, I thought we had settled that a long time ago, Bill, that we only had two genders. Well, yes, and this is something else we see nowadays, and I've seen, I think, since that so-called 60s revolution, and that is that anybody with a hair-brained idea 
can get it into the public very quickly because there's some news outlet out there that will take it seriously. Now, I don't know anything about, uh, uh, you know, basic uh, gender biology. I, I assume there are two genders. I've, I've, I've counted two. There may be people who, for whatever medical reason, uh, have some indication of perhaps uh, – uh, uh, if not a third gender, then maybe other characteristics. That's not something I really have much interest in. If, if it's there, it's there. Everyone should have equal rights. Nobody should have special rights. But it's my goodness, if you take a look at this trans business, and again, I have no issue with any individual uh, because of their sexual orientation, but uh, somebody makes an, a comment about uh, trans people, and 20 minutes later, it's in the national vocabulary. There seems to be no real standard of excellence, standard of proof that's required to make something part of the debate. And of course, if we go back to the pandemic, these very same journalists were saying that we follow the science here. We, we follow the science, never understanding that science is very contentious and that there are debates in science, there are arguments in science. The person who's a lone scientist who may take a position may wind up being correct. Uh, they, they follow the science. I always wanted to shout back to my TV set, which I do regularly anyway, as long as nobody else is around, uh, saying, you know, are you sure of this? Are you absolutely sure? Or are you just listening to voices that echo the opinion you'd like them to have, which I'm, 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 I'm afraid is what a lot of the press is about. Yeah, well, I just, you know, as I said, I here I am, you know, that this... Uh, uh, this new, this young Republican, I guess he's a fairly young guy, he's in his 40s, who's running for president. Uh, I can never pronounce his last name, but I think his first name is Vivak, I think. Yes, yeah, he's a, Yeah, but he's an, extreme, he's an extremely interesting guy. I have yes. to tell you, I've heard him do interviews, and he seems to be willing to talk about things that nobody likes to talk about. But he's a very engaging kind of guy, very interesting guy. And so, you know, whenever he's on, I, I like to see what he has to say. And yesterday, you've got the fellow from Meet the Press asking him about genders, and I'm going, wait a minute, how did we get here? How did we get to a point that, that we're talking about stuff like this and Meet the Press? I mean, I'm sorry, something's wrong when that's the topic, Bill. You know, you're absolutely correct. When I, when I see that kind of thing and listen to those childlike discussions, I think of the Chinese Navy bearing down on us. Uh, China, a hostile country by any reasonable standard, although some people think it's just a temporary inconvenience, uh, but it's, it's a hostile country building a navy larger than ours, building missiles uh, that possibly cannot be stopped. And, that, and that's what these people are talking about. You know, one of the things that's interesting about the woke, quote, community is how far behind the time they are. These are the kinds of discussions we had in the late 1960s, uh, often silly, don't trust anyone over 30, uh, we will take over the world, we will strum a guitar and make the place better by strumming the guitar. And it, it's on that level, it's almost a childlike level. And I, I really do fear for the future of this country. I, I just think that that there are ideas out there that will turn us uh, into essentially a more sophisticated version of a third world country and that yeah. there are people who want it that way because they feel there will be more equity more equality we will each be equally poor uh, <laughs> equally uh, equally in prison uh, equally ignorant and they don't understand that full equality in the human race in any society that works will never be achieved. Right. It's, well, just, it, it's just not the kind of this not what the human race is about. Right. You know, but Bill, my mom had a my late mom had a uh, had a popular line that she would say. You know, something. Of course, she say it in Spanish, but loosely translated to whenever she would hear people talking about socialism and equity and stuff like that. You know, she would say those people have never lived in a communist country. People have never lived. In a real socialist country, because that's right. If you go to a communist country, that's the last place in the world where you will find equity, and yes. where you will. I mean, the, the reality is the exact opposite. And you know, and I know the case of Cuba, because in Cuba, the rich neighborhoods of Havana, where the rich people used to live, those neighborhoods, all of those homes were confiscated, and if you drive into those neighborhoods today. The people living in those neighborhoods are the high-level party guys. So the 
And I know this a little bit because my father's great, my father's uncle owned uh, two homes in, in one of those neighborhoods. They were like right next to each other. They used to live in one and they rented the other. And uh, he was a uh, you know, very distinguished lawyer and college professor in Cuba. So uh, a, a high-level party official moved into his other house, and when he died, they took the other house. So those two homes that used to be owned by well-to-do people are now owned by the, by the people, but only certain people live there, the high-level party people. That's right. So there, there's no equity. It's just if you're in the right, if you're in the right side of the party, you get those homes, Bill. And that was exactly the way it was in the old Soviet Union. If you were a, a, a member of the party at a certain rank, you got a much better home than other people, and yet they called it the, the workers' paradise. It was the workers' paradise only if the work you did was in an office right next to the premier. You know, right. I mean, that's, that's right. that was the that's kind of right. paradise they were talking about. And, and that's absolutely correct, and I, I, I just feel that that's where we're going. If you look, for example, at what happened over the years to the civil rights movement, it's now become a movement for the advancement of leaders. I don't see where the individual African-American benefits much at all. And in terms of other movements like the women's movement, whatever happened to the women's movement? I haven't heard the women's movement active for years. They have a situation now with uh, the Title IX uh, women's sports. Women's sports are being decimated by uh, by the demands of, of uh, a small a certain number of trans people, you would think the women's movement would be right in the middle defending women and making sure that women's rights were maintained. All you hear is silence. You have a situation in, in Iran uh, where you have a revolution being led by women. You would think there'd be one expression of support by the women's movement. Uh, you know, in the 1950s, there was a philosopher named Eric Hoffer, who was called the Longshoreman Philosopher, because he spent most of his life working as a longshoreman. And he said something that John McCain used to quote all the time. He said, all causes become businesses, then they become rackets. I think we are at the racket stage in many of the causes that we've seen over the last 40 years. And it's terrible. It's a terrible situation. Real people are not benefiting from a lot of these so-called causes. Right. Bill, I think the mistake that the women in Iran are making is that they should change their posters. They should march with posters saying, bring back Roe v. Wade. Yeah, and I think if <laughs> I think if they did that, then all the feminists in the United States would talk about the brave women of Iran, you know, fighting for their reproductive rights. That's what uh, that's the mistake they're making in in Iran. But you know, you mentioned China, and I just wanted to uh, always enjoy uh, talking with you about foreign policy, but it does seem like the world is a bit messed up. You know, we mention this every day or every time we, we speak uh, once a week and we talk about this. But the world right now, I have not seen it this crazy for a while. And, and you look at what's happening, uh, something that, that is really troubling me, and that is China, the way China seems to be cutting deals with all these countries in the third world and in Latin America, I mean, China is not looking out for the United States. They're looking out for China. And, uh, you know, at some point we're going to have a conflict with this bill. Well, that is the great fear. Uh, when you hear military people speak, they kind of put themselves in the position of the Chinese president and look at the United States. And what they see is a country that is confused, that is weak, that doesn't seem to want to be strong, where you have one political party with an incumbent president who is clearly impaired, and I don't need a note from the doctor to tell me that, and, and one vice president, one heartbeat away from the presidency, who is a horror story. Uh, the idea that, that, that Kamala Harris could become the commander-in-chief of America's armed forces chills me. It just absolutely chills me. And on the other hand, they have a political party, the Republican Party, that has some very good ideas, but uh, is right now under the control of, a, of, a, of Donald Trump, who is driving away probably more votes than he's attracting. And they say, what kind of a country is that really? And can we trust that country? I think a lot of America's allies must really be in a very, very bad mood regarding the United States right now. They've come to depend on us for uh, treaty enforcement, uh, for national defense, and look what they're seeing. 
Look what they're seeing right. every day. Now, the, you wrote an article uh, over at Urgent Agenda called the Kamala Question. I think that's what you called it. Yeah. And, you know, a, a lot of people are saying that that get ready for the big, you know, Kamala make makeover, that you're going to see the media really, you know, try to, to somehow come to Kamala Harris's, uh, uh, the, you know, defense here and try to, to create this, you know, Kamala who's her- ready to be president type of thing. And, and I believe that. I, I think there's a lot of people in the press who would love to have her become president, Bill. Well, there they probably are. And I, I, you know, I kind of wonder why. I mean, do they think there will be the, that that her accession to the presidency will be some great event? Yes, for two days you'll be able to say we have in the Oval Office a woman of color. Isn't that wonderful? Well, it may be wonderful in one sense, but I still keep thinking of those Chinese armadas right. and whether Kamala Harris, who has who can't articulate an idea, is the person we should be sending to oppose those armadas. Uh, I, I just, you know, you can almost imagine what her inaugural address will be. It'll be about abortion. Uh, mm-hmm. It'll be about, uh, 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 you know, racism. minority rights, which is... Racism. Yes, racism, <laughs> racism, wokeism. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, the President of the United States, I am more concerned about the President not being feared. A President must be feared to a certain degree. He must be or she must be feared by our enemies. I'm not so sure she can scare anybody. No. And the the problem is that so much people make decisions based on perception. You oh know, yes. If you if you perceive and I think that was that was one of the I'll never forget this story. When Reagan was president, I was talking to a lady in Central America and and she was saying that how people uh some you know Latin American leaders were actually afraid of Reagan. Uh, yes. not, they, it's not that they didn't like him. They liked him. But they were afraid that Reagan would push the button if he had to. Yes. And I think that to some degree that, that was also true of Trump. You know, they were afraid that, you know, Trump will push the button if you push him too far. And I think that, you know, not that I'm necessarily looking forward to getting into a bunch of wars, but scaring the, you know, scaring the bad people is not a bad idea, Bill. I mean, keeping the... The bad people guessing is not a bad way to run the country, Bill. That's exactly right. Look, I want the enemy, as I said, to be fearful. I don't want to get into a shooting war. But having a president who imposes that feeling on people and has it backed up by a truly strong military is, as you say, not a bad idea. The fact is that under Ronald Reagan, we moved closer to peace then to war, and the Cold War ended. And it wasn't a coincidence that it happened on his watch. He, mm-hmm. he believed in power for peace. He believed it was well, part of the, the answer, that you have to have the power to back up your diplomacy, and your diplomacy has to say to enemies, so far and no further. Uh, right. And I'd, I'd point out that under Trump, we didn't have any new wars either. You mm-hmm. don't have to like him. You don't have to like him, but... No. but I want I want an enemy to see a, a strong United States. I want an enemy to see a United States with allies who do, who who respect us and will accept our leadership. And right. I think I think those ideas are fading away. That's right. Now, one last thing I wanted to say, Bill. Today, you were talking about you know how the Chinese could be viewing the United States or the military. I mean, they're sitting there talking about going into Taiwan, for example, or contemplating going into Taiwan. And they're analyzing the United States, and they go, you know what? Those guys, they 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 have a 25% shortfall in the recruiting class for the for the armed forces right now. The volunteer That's army. right. I mean, they're 25% short. So maybe they don't even have enough soldiers to fight us. Now, that's not exactly true that we don't have enough soldiers or firepower. We certainly have enough firepower. But again, it's the perception of weakness that they're saying you guys cannot even fill your own military with volunteers, maybe this is the time to act. Again, you've got to get into their heads, and these people, that's, right. that's how they're thinking, Bill. Well, you know, I, I think that possibly not now, but in a year or two when China is even stronger uh, and has an even more massive military, if they get the feeling that we are under indecisive and even cerebrally challenged leadership, they might say, now is the time the Americans won't do a thing. That's and they right. could be right. 
they could they be could right. They could be right. You, at least, again, it's all about perception. It's Absolutely. all about perception. It, it's, it, you don't have to be, you know, what, what is it? Perception is reality, whatever the, oh, perception the expression is. Reality. is. And, yes. and, you know, it's how you see things that make you, that make you do things. One last point I wanted to bring up, Bill. You wrote an article about the GOP and abortion. There's a lot of talk about abortion and the GOP. I happen to be, I mean, I'm pro-life, but I believe that you've got, you got to make some exceptions for rape and incest uh, just to so that you can get a majority of people to support you. I'm hoping the party is moving in that direction, Bill. I don't know, but uh, I hope that's what's happening, Bill. I, I, yes, I, I hope exactly as you do. And uh, the Republican Party has work to do. You know, I, I ran an urgent agenda, a piece quoting the chairwoman of the Republican Party, that their research shows the party did not do well among independents. And it has to win the independent vote to win any national election. And the independents were scared away by what they thought was an overly rigid view of abortion on the part of uh, Republicans. I think that the party will overcome that deficit by a position that is fundamentally and basically pro-life, but mm-hmm. which, uh, which, which understands the needs of others. And uh, to say, in effect, leave it to the states, leave it to the American people, uh, and, uh, we, and we will stay out of the way. I, yeah. I think that it's got to be in that direction. Right, and there also has to be a successful leader, and I bring this up because... You know, if you look at Governor Abbott, Governor DeSantis, Governor Kemp, Governor DeWine, and uh, a few other Governor Reynolds in Iowa, uh, successful Republican governors who were reelected by big margins, all of them had a pro-life position. Yes. So, you know, it wasn't that every Republican was affected by abortion. The ones who had other successes and could come up with a sensible abortion position – 10 weeks, 15 weeks, whatever it is, I think they're the ones who can overcome uh, the problem, Bill. I think you're absolutely right. And as you know, every survey shows that on the basic issues, Republicans are way ahead. And what they have to do is, is put out the right candidates and not have this vibe about them that they're crazy uh, and are not going to go to extremes. But, but the, the polls on issues are very favorable to our side. That's right. No, you're exactly right about that. Thank you so much, as always, Bill, for joining us. Thank you for your time, and keep up the great work at uh, at Urgent Agenda. I always enjoy checking. I, I check you before I drink coffee, Bill. How do you like that? Well, that's terrific. Thank you, Silvio. I look right. forward to our next meeting. All right. Have a great day, Bill. Thank you so much. Our, our good friend, uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. It is true. I check Bill every morning before I drink my coffee. Well, actually, the way it happens is that I look at his... I look at the screen as I'm drinking the coffee, so it's kind of a tie. I'll put it as a tie. Have a great day, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas.